Hello and welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of the Reads on Film podcast. And we're joining you on a very special day. We've reached the end of our first um, season where we have reviewed many, many films. We took it in turns to pick a film each and reviewed it, discussed it. And I'm sure many of you would have read those reviews. But now we're here to give out some awards to those films which we felt were uh, worthy of specific merit. Um, but before we do that, let's uh, go around and do some introductions. So I'll start. I am Callum Reed, hosting this podcast today. My filmic credentials are limited. Done a few modules here and there in university. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it really. I'll pass on to Nathan. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Nathan Reed. I like film. I make films, mainly funny animal films. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> 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 yeah, I think we had to Hi, I'm Nathan Reed. Also, um, I studied film uh, for my undergrad and masters, and I work in TV. Hi, I'm Theo Reed. Uh, I'm an avid film watcher. I've got an A level in film to prove. My worthiness in uh, reviewing, analysing. Shout out Mr Roberts. Making. Shout out Mr Roberts. Um, hello, my name is Stephen Reed. My only credential is that I've wasted away too many hours watching films in the late evenings. I have one disclaimer to announce. I am <laughs> their father. <laughs> Rides en film, podcast édition, please enjoy. are that we all have a shared passion for film yeah, yeah. Well, we have, well we have 70 followers on twitter so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good that's good a couple of a levels between us right <laughs> so uh, what we're here to do today really is to honor uh, the, the some of the excellent films that we've watched this uh this season which will explain like what what like how it works like how the season like how the yeah, so for those of for those of you following our Substack, you'll know that um, we each take a turn every week to uh, pick a film to watch, and then we'll watch it, give our scores, review it, um, etc. Um, and so, reaching the end of the season, what we've done is kind of gone through and created some categories, um, nominated a film each, and during the course of the next well hour, two hours, who knows. And we'll be kind of discussing those nominations and hopefully coming to some kind of agreement uh, on what those what the, what the winner of that particular award will be. Um, so yeah, we'll try and give as much context as uh, as is necessary for each of the categories because uh, we're going to kind of assume that our, our dear listeners won't have, won't have watched every single film or at least um, quite a few of them won't. I'm sure some devout followers of most of them will have seen, right. have seen them. We'll assume yeah. a lot of them, but we'll give we'll give context. Let's get to category one. So yeah, let's let's kick off then with 
um, perhaps the, the the biggest, the most important category of all, really, starting with the starting with the top, the top tier, the god tier um, category, best picture. Oof. A relatively straightforward category, as as I'm sure um, our listeners are familiar with. Um, so, for best picture, we have uh, In the Earth by Ben Wheatley. We have Upstream Color by Shane Carruth. We have Los Olvidados, or The Young and the Damned, by Louise Buñuel. And lastly, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, by Joe Talbot. Um, so, I mean, why don't we go around and talk about our nominations? So, In the Earth, let's maybe start with that. What what, uh, what urged you to, to put that one forward? Should I start with like a, like a synopsis? No. I'll just explain. No. Oh, <clears throat> so, In the Earth, it's a uh, film by... Callum put out, Ben Wheatley, uh, probably my favourite British director currently. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, That's a big reveal. I mean, uh, Kill List, fantastic. Mm -hmm. He's done Field in England, which I loved. Uh, Road, Road Trippers. Um, day Trippers. Day, tri day Trippers? <laughs> well, Day I think so. In the Earth, it's about it's about these this it's set in a sort of pandemic. I don't think it's if it's ever specifically said whether it's COVID or not, but it came out obviously during COVID, and it's about a world in which a pandemic has happened, and uh, this uh, our protagonist, whose name I will find. Time for a message from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you can't have too much dead time, man. Why well, we, can, we cut those out, though. Okay. I think it's better we cut we, rather than trying to you're... speak to the clock. Right, okay. You are overestimating our editing abilities, Nathan, I think, a little bit. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay, so he's kind of venturing off into. So our protagonist, played by Joel Fry, is venturing off into the forest um, in search of. to do basically do some research uh, surrounding the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and in as him and a guide who who's a kind of a ranger of the park venture off into this forest, strange things start to happen. And yeah, I, I think it's uh, just a it's just a great film. It's exciting, uh, tense at times, has moments of horror, moments of laughs. It's just an all around like good fun film. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so next nomination, last black man in San Francisco. Yeah, well, why did you nominate it? It's just a beautiful film, really, about San Francisco bringing in a lot of different themes: gentrification, uh, <coughs> the lost identity of a city, of the main characters. I think it was filmed by both Joe Talbot and his childhood friend Jimmy. Jimmy Falls, Jimmy Fails, who played yeah, kind of a fictionalized version of himself as the main character. And it was just really well shot, uh, beautiful soundtrack, and just a great film. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I think well, it was a difficult decision. I mean, we've watched twenty-two films this season, great. some of which have been well, most of which have been great. A lot of them come out sort of out of the blue. But for me, the best film really has to be Young and the Dam by Louis Buñuel. I mean, it started off, I mean, it's black and white, uh, made, in, I think it was around 1950, and it's a what it is, it's a stark 
exploration of poverty in Mexico. So some a film that we're a cinema that we're not particularly used to, not familiar with, um, starts off with a very uh, sort of Dickensian feel. You think you you know you're watching a Dickensian film, but where it parts from that is that rather than veering off into to Dickensian sentiment uh, sentimentality, it's really very bleak. But also classic Bunuel uh, moments of surrealism and horror. I have to say, yeah, I uh, film had a profound impact on me. That's why I'm nominating it for best picture. Very nice. Okay, so lastly, um, Upstream Colour, um, my nomination for Best Picture by Shane Carruth. I think I went into it sort of knowing vaguely what to expect, having seen his previous film Primer, thinking, okay, it'll be a bit sci-fi, a little bit complicated, but I didn't quite sort of expect the, the kind of the severity with which he was breaking from his kind of previous work and just doing something that was at the same time sort of quite um, modern and quite real and very kind of on the on the surface it's not a hard film to watch but it, there's so much going on so many like brain breaking moments that you're sort of left utterly confused and disorientated as the film kind of unravels um yeah i mean what is it about to this day i'm still not sure you know you have this woman who's basically abducted and made to do all these weird activities due to a kind of brain worm that's been that she's been sort of spiked with and then she kind of meets this other person who's been infected in the same way and they have this kind of weird relationship which also mirrors some pigs living on a farm elsewhere. And I mean, that is only scratching the surface really of what, what the film's about. But it's, um, yeah, I just think a masterpiece from start to finish. Um, a little bit experimental, but also, you know, well, well acted. Um, yeah, and a great soundtrack as well. So better yeah. Than, better than Primer? I, I would say better than Primer, yeah. I think Primer was good, but it was very much like a concept film. It was like you'd taken a philosophical problem and just put it into a film filmic form. Like there weren't the characters I didn't think about too much. The soundtrack, I think although it was also done by Shane Carruth, wasn't mm. it wasn't as prominent. I didn't come away thinking, wow, this is amazing. It was very it was relying on the concept. Yeah, exactly. It was concept yeah. heavy. Yeah. And that obviously when you hear people discussing it, it's mostly discussing the concept and working out with all the kind of graphs and things. It's a film you can't really get if you watch it once. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, good film, good film. I mean I think all of the well, I would say three of the nominations for me are all up there. I have to say I'm not that keen on um, in the earth. anyone who's read the review will have seen that it split views um, for me it was um, well an awful film to be honest <laughs> uh, and quite painful to watch and um, I think in parts particularly painful to watch particularly when they had the sort of DJ scenes in the wood at night Wait. Uh, <laughs> with flashing lights so hold on hold on yeah. what, was the, what was the thing you disliked most about the film well, I, I like the way the film opened with the, the, the sort of pandemic sort of theme. But from there, as soon as they set off into the woods, to me, it was your typical, you know, sort of generic sort of going into the woods, creepy things start to happen. Utterly predictable. The acting wasn't great. We had the sort of ham performance by that Garth inside number nine. Yeah, that film lost me at that point. I, I feel like, I mean, there's a lot to address. But I have okay, predictability. I really don't think it was that predictable. I think it does stray quite far from other films of of this of a similar genre that I guess a genre that you describe, the kind of going into the woods, 
strange things happen. Blair Witch being the kind of prime example of that of what people think of when they think of a forest horror yeah, film. Very derivative. I don't think the predictability is necessarily a problem either. I think no, it was for me. I, I mean, agree. I think what? How many horrors can you make that are unpredictable? At the end of the day, you can either you can either like subvert the you can either subvert the the standard narrative, which is the crazy the crazy guy in the woods is the crazy guy in the woods. Or sorry, the crazy guy in the woods isn't actually a crazy guy in the woods, and is a nice you know, friendly man who's just trying to help the protagonist. Or you can go, okay, I'm going to sort of double down on it and make him someone who is actually a weird guy in the woods murdering people. Do you know what I mean? How how many other options do you have? If anything, I thought the predictability added to the film because you were watching them go to this guy who was clearly up to no good and it kind of, it made you, it made it hard to watch knowing... This is like why yeah. you drinking from this random guys. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think it was I really I really enjoyed it. I didn't dislike it at all. But for me, but the one criticism I would give of it in the context of the best picture conversation is it it felt like a film and I maybe this is bias of having already like not known this now, looking into the detail of it. But it, it definitely felt like it was a film made, it was quick, it was dirty, it was like this is the idea, let's go into the woods, let's film it in a week. And like, let's kind of see what we come up with, which I I enjoyed. And there's like a freshness and like a something that that makes it quite good. But I don't. It's not to me. It's not on the level of no. Upstream color or young adult. Yeah, I, I mean, just quickly, very much to address the the like the predictability. One other thing I want to say is like, <laughs> I think often in these horror films, the kind of classic thing is the characters don't really know, like, why the characters are acting in that way. It's like the classic, like, screaming at the screen, like, why... What's he They don't know it's a horror. Right? <clears throat> they don't, yeah. I mean, for, for they don't know it's but I think the film did quite a good job, actually, of the, of not going through the usual motions and the kind of situation they were in, as much as that I know you, you would uh, retort against this and say that it was predictable, I think... In a situation like that, everything happens so fast. They're in the tent. He gives them. He starts playing the ukulele. It's this kind of like ensemble of chaos, which they just get pulled into, and they're too polite. It's kind of that like I don't know that sort of British politeness of, oh, you know, I'm in your tent now. I'll I'll drink the drink, you know, and then suddenly they're they're knocked out and his toes being cut off. It's almost comedic in a way. Well, that's it. I mean, that was the problem. I I wasn't sure whether to laugh or to cry watching this film. I mean, it was... That's what they're saying, yeah. The tropes were sort of hackneyed and predictable, I thought. There was that bit when the fork goes into the guy's eye, which was straight out of Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) Now, if you're you're ripping off scenes from Pirates of the Caribbean, I think you clearly have run out of ideas. That's all I have to say anyway. Squeeze I'm happy to move on to. It's been sitting on that for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> right, we better move on to discussing the other films and the thirds. What, yeah. and what, do we have a sense of what's going to be, what is best picture? What's, what's in the conversation here? I mean, how are we going to decide? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I wasn't that keen on Into the Earth. The other three, I think, are all pretty, were all impressive pieces of work. You know, I, I think we all were in agreement that Upstream Colour was a fantastic film. Yeah. I think Last Black Man in San Francisco, it was a, I think it was a really good film. I think it was great to look at. But for me, it just didn't have that depth that warrants a best film when we put it up against the others. 
Yeah, that, I think that's it's very it's very memorable. Like, I have to say, the more it's ne- it, to me, it's never been in quite in that top tier conversation. Actually, to be honest, I'm surprised by. I thought I, I would have if I had to pick the top four for best picture myself, which obviously is not the point. I wouldn't have put, wouldn't have put either of those in. I, I did enjoy the film, yeah. but it's not. It, it's not like you know. It's not like in that in that top top tier. Why? I don't. It's hard to say. Yeah, I think it doesn't have the depth or the, or necessarily the complexity. Although some of the scenes, as obviously we'll come on to discuss, I think mm-hmm. are up there. It had these real flashes of brilliance in, in the in the soundtrack. In some of the acting, I just um, thought it, it scores yeah. so highly on so many different aspects: the score, mm. the cinematography, the iconic shots, the skateboarding shot where he's yeah. going down the yeah. um, slope. It's just fa- the acting. Uh, Jonathan Majors, fantastic role. Yeah. Um, so, what do we yeah, want, so what's the award then? Very good. Well, what you, anyone got anything else to say about uh, the Young and the Damned? I I, I really liked lo- it. Yeah, I liked it. Again, I think we all liked it. I mean, my top four. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, we've discussed this a lot, like off the podcast. But like, I do think there's a certain amount of like, I mean, to be actually to be fair, the Young and the Damned. There were, as you pointed out earlier, that the kind of surrealist moments, that kind of that dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Was the way the way that that that, um, that scene manifested? It almost came out of nowhere, you know. Yeah. And suddenly, we were in the dream world, almost Lynchian, I guess. Do you mean um, the bit when his mum, his mother his, turns his mom up when he's up asleep, bed. and she's yeah? I think you don't know at first. There's no indicator. It's not like they do the sort of look of someone going to bed and a uh, wavy kind of transition yeah. into a dream sequence it was very much like you were just seeing him go to bed and then his mum came up and started to, I can't remember what she did but she's holding something at first isn't she and then it turns out to be a big piece of rotten meat oh yeah. right yeah. yeah that's great yeah I, I guess sort of grinning at him sort of yeah. maybe it's just that it doesn't have the kind of flair and uh the uh, sort of the, 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 the grandeur that some of the other nominations would have and I think that comes a case of I mean when, when was the film released? Mm-hmm. The 1950 1950 1950 um, yeah I, I guess when you're looking at like modern cinema I mean not even I mean yeah pre like 1960s cinema they often don't have those big set pieces those big like those oh, big I moments know. Citizen Kane yeah yeah true you know, I often called the greatest film of all time. I mean, would you say it doesn't have, it? it lacks grandeur? <laughs> I think that has grandeur more than Los Olvidados, though. Like, there are, yeah. apart, but then it's just a very different, it's, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. This is very much a film about a small group of, of people, really. Like, there's really only, what, one or two, three, like the mum is a big character, yeah. the main character, and then the kind of older boy who's kind of the villain. Mm. But no, it's, so, it's mostly those three, and then they kind of mute, and then there's that kind of troop mm. of boys around them. But yeah. But what I really I, I, liked I did, about yeah. it though was this the way it did portray this group of, well, young and damned, this sort of underclass, which we've seen, as I said before, in Dickens. Um, you see it again in Clockwork Orange. Um, I think it was Callum who made the reference to Kendrick Lamar. Uh, we talked about his album. Yeah. Um, Good Kid, Sister. I think, yeah. Damn. Yeah, yeah. No, de- definitely. And I, 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 I liked, I mean, I think it, one thing about that film is it was very much like, there's 
obviously everyone in it was was damned, but at the same time, like there was hardly a likable character in it. Like, yeah. Everybody yeah. was just like so His vision nasty was bleak. To and what I think was really interesting was that afterwards, like this was Buñuel's take on an underclass, on the poor. After that, I think he found it so difficult to confront that reality. Most of his films later on became satires of the bourgeoisie of the middle and upper classes. Right. So, we need to. This is the point where we have to come to the difficult decision of awarding the best picture. We haven't talked about Archer and Color. Did you want to say anything about it? I, well, I, gave, I gave it a fairly lengthy intro yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was great. It was a, a very good film. Yeah, mm. a film that speaks for itself. It was really. complex. Speaking in riddles. Yeah, and I think in terms of all the scores that the film got, I mean, it was universally liked and universally rated yeah. as, you know, up there. And also, I think, interestingly, when doing these awards, I definitely, again, had a bit of a bias towards the more recent ones because they're more memorable. But it, it's, I think, what, what was that upstream colour? Was like, was it, it was quite early on. It was like yeah. the fifth or the sixth film, mm. maybe, yeah. that we did. And it's still, I remember sort of, we we moved on to the discussions of the following films and I was still in my yes, head processing and thinking about upstream colour. Still cooking. Still cooking. Shane Carruth. It actually made me go back and watch Primer just to yeah. kind of look at I did watch Upstream Colour twice because the first time, I mean the first time I did really like it, I was just thinking like, what was There that? was a lot going on. Yeah. And it's very easy to miss things. I think yeah. the scenes when they start, when they, when the behaviour, the kind of, the borders of the identity of the characters and the pigs start, yes. to, start to blend and then they start behaving in almost like animalistic ways, like yeah. chasing each other up and down the bus and uh, yeah. when their memories start mixing with each other, it, it's a very kind of creative and... It's that kind of, it's, it, there's a sort of implication that something is going on beyond what you see on the screen. Yeah. There's this like... I, I, again, I kind of, I mean, that probably disagree, but draw some similarities within the earth, and it's almost like these cosmic horror elements of this like great greater thing. Like, mm. I mean, in this, this cycle going on in Upstream Color, but you don't know where it ends and where it begins, or what is causing this thing. Where where did it start, or if it you know did start, or it's just a, yeah, it's. Well, just going back to Reed's results, um, out of 100, the lowest score upstream colour got was 81, the highest was 91, so I think we can all agree it was... Uh, okay. well, the Callum Rowe pushing was the uh, um, mean, median, median score up there. Nathan, Nathan said, <laughs> going, back to, uh, going back to Into the Earth, in the earth uh, uh, Nathan said, upstream colour, like kill list on crack. Bill Wheatley reference. How does that even make sense? Wait, did I say that? I think I think it was the editing style. Yeah, it's very editing style. It's very yeah. It's that kind of um. I well, we talk we'll discuss that in the editing section. It was complicated, but I thought narratively it wasn't at like. For example, Primer was like you had to get your head around what's going on exactly. Yeah. All these little details, whereas I feel like Upstream Color. It, wasn't. It, it was hard to miss something. It wasn't like, oh, I need to watch it again yeah. to notice yeah. like, mm. what happens at what time. That, the, the sequence of events makes sense yeah. in your head, but in a way that almost makes the film even more sort of earth-shatteringly confusing. Because yeah. like, I understood everything, and yet nothing makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like a, a shirt painting. Exactly. And it's very, it is quite like a... It hits you very quickly with that ending scene with, where they're all standing around the mm. table, yeah. And you're kind of like, how did we, how did yeah. we get here? And you kind of have to piece it together. So, so 
Do we have a consensus? Yeah. 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 I think upstream color. Yeah, I think there's nothing. Well, in that case, upstream color. Do you have a sound? The award goes to. Upstream color. Cancelled that he is. Uh, <laughs> picture. <laughs> was, he, was his invite to the awards uh, yeah. provoked? Um, right, well, let's move swiftly on because that was a good 20 minutes on one category. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's best yeah. picture though, right? Like, I, in a way, we could have just done a whole podcast on best picture. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to yeah. award number two, which is the Gore Vidal Award for most crypto fascist film of the season. Um, so our nominations include The Visitor, um, Artificial Intelligence, brackets AI, Bo Travai, and of course El Topo. Um, I'm not sure who nominated each of these, but I'll say, I mean, The Visitor was my nomination, and I'll point out, because Nathan, you did rightly make the point that in some sense, it's not even a crypto fascist film. It's just, a fascist <laughs> it's just a there's nothing crypto about it. Um, yeah, it's weird. The little kids, the kind of bald kids in the Garden of Eden with blonde Jesus. The Matrix children, sort of good. Yeah, the Matrix spoon yeah. boy. Yeah, the everything about right. it was very sort of. It was cut and dry. It was good and evil, yeah. universal battle. It was, you know. Mm very much a kind of cut and dry black and white Nietzsche style fascist sort of force in my opinion so that's why I nominated it uh, AI oh yeah I, I voted AI uh, general just the the whole thing about this creating like this perfect droid humanoid it's very you know mm. white blonde kid uh, you know, <laughs> the like the ro- the robot savior, the like what's he called the the guy that comes in and like helps him on his adventure. It was all very whitewashed. I thought mm-hmm. the circle, the circus of flesh as well. The circle of flesh. Circle it was very yeah, yeah. questionable. Great, good film though. Good film. Questionable. <laughs> Good film, but questionable. What? A questionable underlying message in yeah, some yeah. text. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Uh, Bo Travai? Bo I think it's a bit harsh to call it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a silly award anyway. But, like, I mean, I had to pick one, right? And it was, you know, very, very military, sort of young men in the desert doing kind of making these movements, dances, but, like, it's very masculine, very, like... Mm. And, I, I, and obviously we'll discuss this, I think someone's nominated it for uh, best scene or something, but the film has these, like, wider themes, and maybe it's maybe it's not a crypto-fascist film, but I think there's definitely moments in there of potential fascist energy going on. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I, I think having, now that, now that I've thought about it, 
it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely in the conversation. But I'll, we'll carry on to the last nomination, which is El Topo. El Topo, <laughs> well, oh, I'm not sure where to start with El Topo. I, I'm not sure. Did anyone actually like El Topo? I mean, there were. The, yeah, no, I, I think that was the overwhelming. There were redeemable qualities which ultimately left the film unredeemed. There yes. were elements. The good, even the best moments were probably the most problematic ones as well. Visually, yeah. <laughs> visually striking. Yeah, but striking in the way it displayed sort of animal cruelty, uh, misogyny, exploitation of children and people with physical disability. It was all and, uh, <laughs> It wasn't just fascist. It was ableist, sexist, racist. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only question is how crypto it was, because as I said, uh, as uh, uh, well, you said in reference to some of the other films, it was pretty explicit the message there. I'm not sure I want to talk too much about El Topo. Really, it left a bit of a nasty taste in my mouth, to be honest. Um, yeah, so I'm happy to move on. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I think there's a good case to be made for Beau Travai, like the kind of the. the obviously like you said the kind of latent subtext of like the homoeroticism and like the guy that mm. i can't remember his name the protagonist the circus man he seemed he just seemed like a bit of a you could de- you could definitely see him playing like a a, a good nazi officer i think that, that way. he like kind of smoked and he was a bit vicious and like yeah. a training that like yeah. perfectly performed like all moving to one drum it was very kind of like i can't remember what it was i think it was like an itv program where robert carlyle was playing hitler and it was like how he rehearsed he rehearsed all of his like speech dramatic speech oh. movements oh. Uh, there is something a little bit fascist about the kind of clean cut i really have to disagree was, strongly uh, for me it was that, it was no, it was it was an anti-fascist film, if anything. I mean, although you know it was set in a military, there was a military setting. Dennis Levant, the character you're taught referring to, who's playing this really tight, uh, highly strung, straight-laced sort of commanding officer, throughout the film that sort of breaks him down, and I think he's struggling. Given you know he's got all these other sort of interests and urges to be honest and he's really trying to keep those you know keep all that together but as the film progresses uh, uh, and you talk about the sort of ritualistic sort of patterns that they go through one of which i think that was the, di- the director claire denise shows them doing the ironing and lots mm. of other tasks which are domestic tasks not the sorts of things you would descend associate with a with a uh, masculine military so for me, if anything, it was yeah. But for me, yeah, but not necessarily depicted, Nathan. Um, for me, it was an anti-fascist film, if anything. And then obviously, you have this liberating scene at the end with that amazing dance. I think there is an element of the feminine in fascism, though. I mean, we're getting too deep into the into the question of what fascism is, right? Well, people, well, people, I can't remember the exact person I'm thinking about. There's a lot of like critical discourse on like the femininity of Hitler and like he used to do like that kind of like everyone else would do the seat pile and he did like a really effeminate kind of like sort of flailing of the, of the hand <laughs> so I don't necessarily think that the kind of those scenes where you're ironing where they're ironing the shirts in a very sort of unmasking way necessarily make that bit less fascist but I guess the point that you're making is that while the film has these kind of fascistic elements in them fundamentally the reason for that is that it's in a process of unravelling and getting to the point where he is able to escape that by doing a crazy dance. So obviously, rhythm of the night. Does he leave the Euro? Does he leave the Euro? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. no, I think I think you're right. Proper spoiler alert. I think it's a very multi multi ethnic cast in the in the desert when they're doing those performances. It's not completely whitewashed one. Yeah. Any other points worth discussing? Uh, what? Where do? What? Mm. Where, where are we? Where well, are we landing on this? Yeah. What, what, what about, what about, what about Theo's we AI? I was a bit surprised by you choosing that as a crypto flash film. I mean, what do you think? AI. I don't know. I mean, I could kind of see it. Obviously. Yeah. The, the exactly. final image of like the, of the boy sort of dying in his mother's bed with it with her after two thousand years of rehearsed sort of domestic um, role-playing whatever they were doing essentially <laughs> you got like a day with her and it, it was very kind of like this perfect ending and there was definitely something which i thought was quite creepy about the kind of child the childhood tale that kind of had a happy ending but ultimately it was quite there was a sense quite, of component yeah to it. Mm. i mean if there, if there's a if there's a fascist fascistic tone to it it certainly is crypto i think it's not yeah. it's, it's it's hidden not Which of the films the... would a fascist leader like the most? That's a good question. So I don't know. Lead the, the award here. I don't I think probably... they'd like Beau Travai. I think Visitor, to be honest. Yeah, I think Visitor's a good contender. You want to see that? I'll talk about that. Just said how much it disgusted no, you. No, it was just... Yeah, I, I think... The, the problem is it's not crypto. It's not missing the, it's missing the crypto, crypto fashions for sure. I think it doesn't strive for perfection in, a, in enough yeah. of a way to make it like... Yeah. For me, it's between AI... I think the Garden the of Space Angels does it for me. Yeah. The, uh, oh, <laughs> harvesting your young Aryans. Yeah. And yeah. killing anything that's not... doesn't abide by that. Mm. And eugenics as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, literally, they're, they're trying to wipe out... They're trying to wipe out... They're trying to wipe the, out the... the, 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 the there's some kind of greater... Zatan. Zatan. Yeah, I think I'm with Zatan on this. Well, in that case, let's the award goes to (laughs) the visitor. I think it gets a clap for that. Right. Shall we move on to our third category? Mm. We are moving at. We're moving at a pace, but pace is slow. It's definitely um, a pace. Let's let's go to best cinematography um, next. Um, so Nathan, with the most film editing credentials, here, yeah. Do you want to talk us through what that what that means? What, is, Cin- what, what do we mean when we say cinematography? Yeah. Um, cinematography. I guess it's the the use of light and color um, and and I guess the sort of geometry of a frame is everything within a frame that is to, to do with the way the camera's been set up, light, colour, uh, yeah, and geometry. Okay, um, so nominations we have Ennis Main, uh, and Mark Jenkin was the cinematographer. Uh, we had Terrorizers, um, Jeanne Jeanne, um, Beau Travail, we had Agnes Goddard, and we have after hours, Michael Bullhouse. Um, yeah, so I'll talk us through my nomination, which was Ennis May. Um, quite recent, we watched it towards the end of the season, but I just thought it was unique. It, it was a clear, for me, a growth and evolution from the previous film, Bates, both sort of how it looked and how it was, 
how it was shot. I mean, I think making something look convincingly old, dated, is, is really, really hard to do. Um, particularly when there's very little going on in the shot. Like we're on a, on a small island, there's no, you can't just, you know, like in some films, they're just all quick, let's have fill the street with loads of 70s cars and put up a, an old Coca-Cola sign and everyone would use the 70s. It was quite hard to do. I think that he managed to do that really well. Um, obviously the use of the, I can't remember what, what type of camera it is, but it's a pretty old, like analog looking budget camera that he's got, not, not budget obviously, but. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I think it just looked great. The little bits of colour that were there were really impressive. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, a film that kind of relied on a visual strike striking component to it in order to make it uh, engaging, because it's quite a, it's quite a austere and um, minimal film in a lot of ways. Um, so Bo Chavai, uh, I I so it's quite tricky. I think looking at cinematography. Often it's quite hard to distinguish where the cinematography ends and like the editing begins and the direction begins. But um, I chose Bo Chavai because it has a very striking colour palette, that kind of blue and orange, kind of golden hour um, setting felt like it was present throughout the film. Um, I mean, it's set in a desert, so that, that kind of lighting is obviously complemented. Um, the I mean also needs to take into account the cap like the capturing of movement. I've never really seen a film like that where it's just like people moving in unison in in a golden hour against blue a bright blue sky, vivid images. Um, there were some really nice. Um, uh, I, I, <laughs> it's funny. I also have to jump to drone shot, but obviously they wouldn't have used a drone back then. But um, kind of bird's eye views, probably shot from a helicopter. Um, looking down, I think, at the sea and seeing the sa sand in the sea. It was just a very striking uh, visual film. Um, and I think that it, the imagery of the film very much, like, it carried a lot of it. Um, and it's what stuck with me uh, when I think back to the film now. So, yeah. Nice. Um, Jack Terrorizers. The cinematographer Zhao Zhang. Um, yeah, yeah. God, what to say? Where to start with the um, terrorizers? I mean, the story, as you know, is quite complicated. You, know, you can really struggle to make sense with it. But for me, this was a film more, much more about the, watching the moving images. Some of the scenes were so beautifully shot. I mean, you, you could have just sat. I mean, the takes were often very long, but you could just sit and meditate on these images for ages. I'm thinking particularly of the repeated image of the cityscape from the apartment window where you see the um, spherical green water tank in the foreground and the sun, the red sun, sort of descending to the horizon in the background. And there were so many scenes in the film like that. And again, they were often repeated with slight changes. I thought it was fantastically well photographed. And some of those images, you know, they, they do sit with me. Lastly then, Theo, if you want to talk us through your nomination, After Hours, Michael Ballhouse. Yeah, so I picked not After Hours, 1985, um, a surrealist thriller, comedy, black comedy maybe, uh, that you, is set in New York. And so the reason I chose this for best cinematography is because the way the camera moves really dictates the... Well, it sets the scene 
in that it feels like you're engrossed in this labyrinth of New York City. And just to give a bit of context, the film is about a man having this kind of nightmare time in New York. He just wants to get home, but he can't. And a lot of the, a lot of that feeling um, that he can't escape New York back to his apartment is created by this cinematography, um, a lot of verticality in the shots, people peering down at others from high windows, high apartment blocks, uh, a lot of really, I'm not sure what, what you call it, like where it's shot in like a really tight, narrow space. Um, and it kind of creates this claustrophobic uh, look throughout the film. And also I think there is a really careful and considered use of lighting in the film. It's primarily pretty dark, it's at night time. And then uh, in certain, I don't know, key locations, like at the bar, uh, a lot of where the major events take place, you have these neon lights outside, which kind of brings about this buzz to these locations. Yeah, the, the locations all have their own unique lighting setup that distinguishes the like, yeah. Like, yeah, these points of interest. And the, the apartment that they, were, that they originally go in, the, the, the girl who... Yeah, yeah I, I think After Hours was, I, I wanted to enjoy it more, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't really, to be honest. There were lots of films it was drawing from, and I liked the idea, but I, I, I don't know what it is about the film, but I didn't find it particularly interesting. There were a couple of good shots that I think you're referencing that, that I did think were, were good, but I just... Maybe it was knowing that it was Martin Scorsese and like this wasn't his wheelhouse was what kind of threw me off. But um, it it felt tonally all over the place. The jokes weren't landing, and I know this is not really too much to do with the cinematographer, but they, the film didn't have a unifying image for me. It didn't capture New York in a particularly cinematic way, um, even well, though there was some quite clever. Use I, I disagree with that. I, I mean, I, like I mean, putting aside the characters and the jokes and the story and all of that and the focus of the I think what one thing it did do really well was like kind of capture that as Theo said like this kind of labyrinth of different locations and it moves mm. I mean this this film must have a, a lot of different individual locations within it and some which they kind of come back to I love it when they you know they he I think he comes back to the apartment at one point and there's it's, it does feel like this kind of maze, this, this web of this, like inter yeah. passages. Like yeah. they go under the underground in like the bar. Yeah, you never know where they're going to be in that street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll agree with Nathan and Theo. I really like and I then don't when they're that. in the van at the yeah. end and it drops them outside back. It's just. Yeah. yeah, I think it's an interesting. Like, I think that's an interesting concept. I think you're right, like conveying that labyrinthine sense of panic and. Uh, thriller, like you said, is, is good. But I, I, to me, again, if we're looking at, we're talking about cinematography, we're talking about just like how the film kind of looks and what I'm seeing in the shots, like comparing it to um, the other films that we mentioned, um, which well, are Travai well, well, yeah. and Ennis Main in particular. I mean, I, I wasn't a massive fan of the Terrorizers for other reasons, <laughs> but even, even the cinematography on that I thought was quite impressive. What I liked about it was obviously. Terrorizers had some very yeah, nice locations. Is it Ed Wood Yang? I can't remember the guy. The director. Edward Yang, yeah, yeah. Edward Yang, yeah. I 
I think obviously he does have an eye for there's a, there's always cameras in his films and it feels very much like this kind of photographic almost mm. um, way of every shot films. is a photograph yeah and it's almost like and I think yeah I think from memory he was he's a fan of comics and manga and it's almost like you're at times you're watching shots from a comic strip mm. yeah frames those, uh, frames yeah yeah. yeah yeah quite for yeah. a and then Ennis May, I just, yeah, I think that, that, one, that one's one where it speaks for itself. I mean, I know you didn't enjoy the film that much, uh, Stephen, but... Um, no, I mean, there was some... the cinematography, you've got to give it credit where it's due. Uh, well, there, for me, there were some striking images in the film, uh, which were impressive, but overall, no, I, I wasn't, I have to say, I wasn't that impressed. I think... Um, you know, there were individual shots, but they didn't particularly flow for me. And in fact, that was one of the things I disliked about the film is that at times the jump from scene to scene was jarring. You might argue that that was deliberate, but for me, it lacked a flow, which made yeah made a lot of what we were watching incoherent. Uh, of the films we've nominated, well, for me, I would really yeah for me it's between um, terrorizers, but also Bo Travai, which I think was fantastic. In the yeah, way uh, it was shot, very, um, yeah, very distinct look yeah. and feel. Mm. Which I, I mean, again, it's 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 quite difficult when you're judging these things. Of, I mean, this cinematography, cinematography that's quite invisible and feels naturalistic, and then this cinematography that's stark and kind of stands out and leaves an imprint on you. And I think usually it's the kind of stark and kind of loud cinematography that, I mean, on the whole, we've sort of gravitated to because it's the one the sort of stuff you remember um, I'm actually surprised that Last Black Man in San Francisco didn't get a nomination because I thought the incredible shots why didn't you nominate it why didn't you given that you'd nominated it for best performance why, uh, best film why didn't you film. nominate it I didn't want to overload it with nominations but I do want to give it a special shout out for its those incredible wide oh. shots of San Francisco. I, 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 I'm coming under up. the golden sun. Do you think the really the broad San Francisco is better tonight? than in After Hours? Well, it's I do find it hard to compare though because it's very different. I've come round to After Hours. Oh, after Hours is very like it's creating this labyrinth. It, it's been like it's been a minute since we watched it, <laughs> but now since you've described it there and like kind of started to conjure up these memories of watching it. I, like, I actually think the After Hours is very well shot. And I, I think it's the cinema, like, when we, again, coming back to what when we describe what cinematography is, the cinematography that Theo is describing in After Hours is very different to say what I'm describing with Go Trevay, which I think what mine is is more kind of like a standard what if you just ask anyone that was cinematography. Oh, yeah. it looks nice. Which, yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, After Hours is not that it looks necessarily looks nice, it's that, yeah it kind of helps develop the story and the I think it's like anything after hours. I think it's still from after hours. I just say, <laughs> well, well, that's what the comes on my That's my point, is that it doesn't have like a distinct, it's yeah. not a distinct uh, character to the shots. To the well, characters. I think Beau Travai has both of those things. It has a distinct character and colour and appearance yeah. to the shot, but it also brings in the elements of, of, of yeah. reinforcing the story, this kind of austerity, this simplicity, this kind of tight, fascistic perhaps. Uh, oh, sort of aesthetic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 for me, it's Bo, Bo Travai is up there with Ennis May in the top. <laughs> whereas 
five of these other films. Oh, come off it. Terrorizers has got to be. Anyway, anyway, we 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 need to come to a decision. Boom. So I think Dan makes a good points about terrorizers and I don't know. But I would still. Well, well, I mean, any just any any's men as well. I mean, what do people think of the sort of sixteen millimeter aesthetic kind of film? Love it. Grainy. I think it's a novelty. I don't think, but for me, I you know, I think it's of interest. But I really don't think it makes for a great film, and it doesn't make for great. The sixteen mil in general, or in in this specific instance, the way he's used it here and in bait. I think it's great, um, great work. So one more, if you if you are listening, I think fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, come on, come on, guys. <laughs> Callum, Nathan, Theo, we need to wrap this one up. What, what, what uh, I'm, I'm not happy with After Hours. I'm, I'm, I think terrorizers. I can see it, but I don't like it. I don't enjoy it that much. And I'm waiting to continue that boat. I'm happy with that. Boat yeah. I would give it to Boat I can give well. it to Boat Okay, we're done. I have to and give it to Boat And the winner of Best Cinematographer thing is. <laughs> You're going to have like a little sound effect there. Mm-hmm. What did the guy just do? Yeah, like a, a, a um, post. Who is it again? Boat Boat yeah. <laughs> Wait, say it, do it again. Is, and the winner is. Who was the cinematographer? Oh, there's a good point. Yeah. Is it Agnes? We've, Agnes, oh. Agnes Scott. Yeah. Agnes Scott. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I didn't mention that in my summary. And the winner of Best Cinematography goes to. Agnes Scott. Both revived. Agnes Cobb from Collectural Awards. Well done, Agnes. We got it right the third time. Right. Moving swiftly on to another category, which is Best Performance. Best performance. Ooh. A tough, tough category. Um, so I'll just read out uh, who we've got here. So we've got uh, Jonathan Majors playing Montgomery Allen in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. <laughs> Isabel. Why is that funny? It's just funny because The Last Black Man in San Francisco is here. So I'm But even when he didn't nominate it, he yeah. nominated it later on. So yeah, we've got um, Jonathan Majors playing Wait, Montgomery you Allen. In last black man is We have Isabel Huppert playing Anne Laurent mm. in Time of the Wolf. Um, then we have uh, Jal Sagar, the music room, where we had uh, Chahabi Biswas playing Biswamba Roy. And lastly, we have Los Olvidados, or Young of the Dams, El Kaibo, played by Roberto Cobo. Is that El Kaibo? His name was Al Qaeda. Oh, sure. Like his. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, let's start with um, Al Qaeda, shall we? We haven't talked about Las Olvidados for a while. Yes. Um, so Al Qaeda, I think, for me, what what made yeah yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. This is this is El Qaeda, I think, his character reminded me of the kind of you know you know at school there's always that kid who's like being expelled and he kind of turns up on his BMX bike yeah. and like hangs around That's outside yeah. and like but after everyone finished school he like turns up and like yeah. he just goes and hangs out maybe sells a bit of weed on the side mm. um he, re- he reminds me of that kind of a character okay 
And when he, tu- when he turns up at the beginning of, of the film, he's like, just got out of prison. And he's kind of older than all these other kids. I don't... <laughs> like, he's definitely, like... I don't know, like, why he's, he's just hanging out. I guess they're quite expo- to exploit them, but he's just hanging out with a lot of kids who are younger than him. But um, just as a... I mean, I think the... the I mean, this top performance, I think the character was very well... Uh, he, he really just had this sinister sense about him. Like, he was pretty unredeemable. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe, I guess, the point of the film is that, you know... Mm. That there, there's like nothing to be done here. Like it's just a very tragic story, but um, I just think he he plays the character very well. And as an audience member, I could not, I could really didn't like him. And I, I think that was kind of the point that he was just this despicable, this this, this despicable character. I think I did remember. I just remember seeing like a YouTube video essay where it's like the clickbait title was like, is this the biggest villain of cinema history? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. a bit over the top, but yeah. I, I think there's definitely a case to be made for it. Like, he does feel like pure evil, just pure it, just yeah. pure chaos energy, just like, he exists to just like, mess people's lives up. And, At every moment, yeah. he's just there, like, yeah. it's like, have you not enough? It's like, no, yeah. I'm just going to take more. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, yeah. hop on to the next one, yeah. which is Isabel Huppert and the wrong time of Wolf. My nomination, uh, yeah, I mean, a great film, uh, as you would say, Nathan, a slept on film in a lot of ways. Came very early on in the season, but I thought really spectacular film from Michael Haneke. Haneke, even. Um, Agreed. I think it's easy to forget that most of the characters in the film, for the majority of it, are children. Um, and really, it's Isabel Hooper who's kind of doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of acting as this. Um, mother figure who's sort of trying to guide them through a crisis a lot of the film is focused on her Um, and I think yeah it's just a kind of solid performance it would be very easy to kind of go over the top or hard to sort of play off the child actors but I think she does a does a fantastic job Um, there's a a lot of the film is is quite um, dialogue sparse as well so a lot of it is is sort of emotionally driven and it's sort of about sort of understanding and developing it a sublingual relationship with her, her kids, and I think she does that really well. Um, next nomination, we have one that's good to Theo, um, John Jonathan Majors. Tell us, tell us about him, his performance. Yeah, well, well, not the main character of um, Last Black Man in San Francisco. He still plays such a pivotal role in the story, and partly what I like so much about his performance is. Uh, he takes on so many different, um, he kind of moves through so many different uh, like roles in, within the film. And actually, sometimes it's in his more... So just to say something about what he, what he does, he's often just looking out into the world and trying to find, trying to observe different scenarios uh, to you that he'll then write about or draw um, for his plays and what he does so well is even though he's often not the main part of a scene he plays a more passive role a more background role and you just see something that's not really that common in cinema I guess this kind of soft masculinity uh, which was extremely well conveyed by Jonathan Majors and then lastly we've got the music room. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I wanted to nominate uh, Chubby Biswas, the actor who's playing uh, Biswamba Roy 
in uh, Ray's film, uh, The Music Room. I'm surprised, I mean, I think it's a, a great film, and I'm surprised it hasn't come up in any of the categories so far. I mean, he's playing in this film an old man whose wealth is ebbing away. He's a bit like, you know, uh, sort of other figures uh, that we've seen in film and on stage in the past, King Lear, Citizen Kane. And what I really appreciate his performance is that he is so still. He obviously comes, and I think he is, uh, 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 before he got into movies, he was a classical stage actor, but he comes from the less is more school of acting. And Ray, as the director, was happy just to leave the camera on his face. And you can just see the in these moments of stillness, the changes in his emotions. Um, not so much in the way of dialogue, but just the way his face changes, the way his facial appearance changes. Uh, and I, yeah, I just thought it was a, a magisterial performance. That's why he gets it for me. Yeah, discuss. Well, I don't, um, so I just didn't find him, but I found him annoying, as I mentioned, in the, as I'm sure comes across in the review when we were discussing it. I just found him smug and smarmy and like a slovenly, just annoying, like landlord type figure who I just didn't get on with at all. Um, the only emotion I remember him displaying was when he was sad that his son died for about two minutes and then he <laughs> immediately went back to hosting music in his room. Um, I mean, if you compare it to a performance like Jonathan Majors, which is just a, a hurricane of characters, emotions, dialogue, pitch, uh, everything about his performance for me was excellent. Um, I, I, he was close to my nomination to be to be perfectly honest with you I have to say um, particularly that that moment in the when, he, when they put on the play in the yeah. in the roof in the loft of the of the house in Last Black Man in San Francisco I thought it was a really excellent scene that he really kind of stole the show a heart wrenching performance well I, mean, I, mean, I, Jimmy, liked it, but the, uh... I thought it was a bit too quirky a bit too mannered for my liking but I can see why you've gone through it so yeah Nathan, what do you think? What, of music group? Or well, is, in general? Um, I mean, I think at, at the end of the day, he, like, he, his, his character just, it, 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 really, it really carried the story for me and it, re and it really represented the extreme end of what the director was trying to portray. And I, I, I don't know, I, 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 actually, yeah, I thought he did a great job. No, I thought he did all right, but he was. I thought it was one, one of one of an ensemble. Yeah, yeah and he didn't have much. He he didn't. I didn't feel like he evolved that much throughout the film. I didn't feel like he displayed that many compared to say Jonathan Majors, who put on who had many faces. Yeah, as maybe a supporting best supporting performance. MTC background. <laughs> he was still the main character but he wasn't the main focus like the scene when he's seducing the mum like he comes in and he does he does have that kind of a little bit of range here and there mm. and like a lot of it's very physical in the sense that obviously older cinema generally tends to have that sort of slightly more silent era Charlie Chaplin-esque a lot of what you're conveying your performance is movement and I think he did a really good job of having that kind of like older boy swagger like leaning on things mm. and like being the kind of uh, artful dodger mm. on crack, as we like to say. Um, <laughs> <to have laughs> dodger on crack. Yeah. Should um, also mention that all of the 
um, the young people in that film were non-professional actors. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Street cast. Yeah. Um, Good. Do we have any, any thoughts on that? I'm not well, Isabel Huppert, I've seen her in many films. She is a fantastic actor. Um, yeah. Uh, whether she's whether she'd win the award when we compare her to all the performances that we've seen, I'm yeah. not so sure. I, again, well, I can't. There's nothing in her performance I could criticise. I mean, again, like it was just a solid performance, a very early film scene. But it, it, that film had so many good performances in it, and also there was this like huge cast of characters and different people with like different agendas or sort of at odds with each other. Um, but yeah, no, she definitely stood mm. out. Um, yeah. If I if I do manage to get clips to play, I'd like to play the Jonathan Major's speech in the in the in the play. That was really good. Are these the people who knew Kofi? Who got yelled at by my bitch boss for being late? Sorry, there's no timer for grief. Leah Tanaka, three hundred and twenty likes. Man. Man, can't believe we lost my bruh. But you wouldn't want me to be sad, Coach. So I put my pain into my music. Make sure you like the post. Row, 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 Rodney Tuck. Mr. Tuck moved to Florida 10 years ago. Are these the people who knew Kofi? Kofi had dimensions. More than a, a, a post could reflect or a play could capture. So I summon you. Celebrate the life he lived. Not through those who speak the loudest, but through the memories he left the soul. Well, it looks like you two are both heavily leaning likes. towards uh, <laughs> Jonathan Major. So we're going to give him the award. I just thought it was such a powerful performance. Well, yeah, Theo, you've really pulled it out for uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco who wins their first award. Wow, God, it won something. <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's do the last category. Okay, well, let's do the last category then for wait. this episode. Oh, wait, we're actually going to do two episodes. Yeah. Well, it's going to be like nine hours. Oh, well, I thought we were just going to pretend we were in the same room. Okay, no, it makes sense. Well, to conclude this segment of the podcast, we are going to go to uh, one final award, which is the NPC Award for Best Cameo Slash Small Performance. Now, this isn't any typical award. This really is going towards an NPC, uh, a non-playing character, someone who has a role but isn't really there for much of the action or, or much of the story but is a sort of key focal point of interest uh, for, the, for the film. So, uh, without further ado, let's look at the nominations. So, Wait, do you want to find a little bit more what that role is? No, yeah. I don't think so, because these are all pretty different, in it? Yeah, as you'll see in our okay, yeah. um, So it's a little bit up to interpretation, but um, yeah, let's, let's have a look. So, we have uh, Cope, a character from Crimes of the Future, played by Welket Bungwe. Um, we have a uh, Chinese man in Dersu Azula, who's as of yet unidentified because he has a very minor role in, in, in quite an old film. And he doesn't even have a name in the film, he's just referred to as the Chinese man. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. 
then we have the sampler played by Andrew Sensenig in um, Upstream Colour. Um, so for those of you who might not know, he's the kind of pig farmer uh, slash man who makes recordings um, throughout the film. And then lastly, we have uh, two unnamed uh, men in a car in The Visitor. Uh, so, where do we want to start? Let's start with Crimes of the Future, shall we? Um, the character Cope. Yeah. Uh, and uh, give, give us a very brief intro of Crimes of the Future, because I don't think that film's come up yet. Just a couple of sentences. Crimes of the Future, David Cronenberg. Um, quite a recent film, actually. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the year. Um, but, yeah. Uh, dystopian, dystopian film, kind of uh, looking at this in a world where biotech is, you know, everyone's everyone's using the new biotechnology everyone's using biotechnology uh it's kind of this what what is crimes of the future well, kind of... according according to chat gpt crimes of the future is a surreal and dystopian sci-fi film set in a future where all women have died due to a cosmetics <laughs> epidemic <laughs> i think it's slightly essentially yeah it's a film about the tagline i think is surgery is the new sex and it yeah. kind of focuses on this kind of use of cosmetic surgery as a, as a sort of performative art by Viggo Mortensen and his female um, assistant. Um, yeah. And so the, the main character is Viggo Mortensen, right? But yeah, tell us about more about this NPC. So the, um, I gave, I nominated Cope as best NPC because more, let, I guess every time Viggo Mortensen goes to Cope, Cope kind of, they both go into this really undisclosed location um, that is a very generic, it almost looks like a green screen. Uh, and it's always the same kind of set piece where Cope will be doing like a, what would you call it, like a Slav squat. Slav <laughs> squat. Like it's a, got a number of problematic names that... Uh, yeah, I don't know what you've got. But a deep a, squat. A deep squat. Yeah. yeah okay. And they'll both kind of just stand at the edge of the screen and Cope will give Vigo a mission. Uh, and it's just very, it's very, it feels, it really, it kind of takes you out of the film in a way. It feels very staged, very, it doesn't feel natural at all. The cutscene, video game quest. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I see that. Is that. And that's why you've given it the best NPC award? Yeah, because it, it did make me laugh quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Every time. It was always, it happened several times throughout <laughs> the film. And every yeah. time it was almost the same set up and it was quite amusing. So here we are again. May not be the best NPC, but definitely the most NPC NPC. Yeah. Let's go to uh, Dersu Uzala, which we haven't mentioned too much so far, but I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's been brought up. Yeah. So, um, so Dersu Uzala, or Uzala, Uzala? I've been saying Uzala. 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 Um, and again, I mean, here we can, we can refer to our excellent ChatGPT summary. Yes. Dersu Uzalafar is a Russian explorer who befriends a nomadic hunter named Dersu Uzala in the Siberian wilderness. The film explores the deep bond between the two men and examines themes of friendship, nature, and the clash between traditional ways of life and modernization. It's pretty good, isn't well, it? I've done ChatGPT. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> Much better than Crimes of the Future. So, yeah, uh, the NPC from Dersu Uzala was um, the as he's referred to in the film, uh, the Chinese man who is a sort of solitary figure living in the forest, deep in the forests of Siberia, 
um, and this party of um, Dursu and this uh, Russian uh, Soviet uh, captain, they come across this man. Dursu seems to know who he is. Um, well, he does actually know who he is, and he explains to the captain that the man has been living in the forests in uh, isolation for the last 40 years um, after his brother ran off with his wife. Um, Quite the reaction. And it's, yeah, it's an extreme reaction. Uh, it's, uh, I just thought, I think as a scene, it, I mean, it, it sits just very much uh, as its own scene. We only see him within this one sequence in the film. Um, we don't hear of him again. I, I mean, it definitely does resonate with some of the worst, uh themes of the film. You have uh, sort of nature and civilization. I think the kind of reconciling your past and sort of, le I think also uh, uh, learning to sort of uh, forget the past and sort of uh, embrace the future. Um, this Chinese man seems stuck. And I think it's quite a good, it's quite a good exemplar of the kind of wider themes of the film. Um, and then, I mean, why I give him the NPC award, I think, is just, or the NPC nomination is just, I think he is a classic NPC character. Doesn't say anything, has very kind of wooden responses when the captain tries to give him food. Um, and eventually just kind of wanders off. He goes back to civilization. So yeah, um, that's the Chinese one. Yeah, well, speaking of saying not, uh, almost nothing at all, I believe the sampler um, from Shane Carruth's Upstream Colour, which we've discussed already at length, actually doesn't have any lines at all as far as I'm no, aware. Yeah. He is this completely silent figure. Um, and again, what I think I like about him as, a, as an NPC is there's a degree of mystery about him throughout the film. You see him, you don't ever really get any sort of depth of him, but there's a lot of kind of unanswered questions. Is he a good figure? Is he a malicious figure who's sort of responsible for this sort of weird cycle of abuse and exploitation and um, profiteering? Or is he just an innocent man with a, with a with a sort of loop tape making these sort of weird ambient beats in his farm? And it happens to link into this kind of much darker cycle of... Um, events um so i think yeah similar to similar to chinese man in death so it kind of links to the broader themes of the film even though his part is quite minimal um so yeah i think that that probably sums him up for me um we'll move on lastly to um the visitor yeah well the npc character is a bit unfamiliar to me because i don't play video games as much as you guys do but for me it would have to be uh well a scene from um, the film The Visitor, as we've talked about already. I think, did it come up in the crypto-fascist or was it the fascist uh, <laughs> category? Where we have this sort of fusion of intergalactic space battle and religious epic. A schlockfest of horror, comedy, tropes. Ben Wheatley, you should take a look at this. Then go back and have a look at your own film Ooh. in the earth. But, <laughs> but, sorry, <laughs> but, but, there's a particular scene, you've got all this going on, the evil Zatine fighting the intergalactic space warriors, and we have these two men, two black men, sitting in a truck on the hill, supposedly of Los Angeles, when we get a scene <laughs> where a spaceship comes down to Earth, and these visitors appear, and they look image for image the exact 
replication of the scenes of Spielberg Close Encounters of the Third Kind when the aliens uh, enter the Earth. Who knows what happens to these two characters? They're sitting in their truck just having an amiable chat and suddenly they're confronted by this um, visitation. Um, I just hope that wherever they are now, they're having a good time and living it up. Um, so for me, it has to be those two characters. Visit is an interesting one because there was actually quite a lot of NPCs in that film. Yeah, yeah. And another interesting point is, I mean, one of the stars of the film, it was Lance Henriksen. I mean, a lot of these people in this film were Hollywood actors on the downhill uh, trajectory of their careers. He said most of the actors signed up to it because they got a free trip to Italy out of it. (laughs) That's why. (laughs) That's why it was so well populated with. uh, Hollywood celebs, but yeah, full there we of go. tropes as well, full of references. So, where where are we landing on this? I mean, it's it's a tough category to award to, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the sampler, brilliant character. Okay, as you said, he's. But I I think in a way he plays too too much a role in the film. Like for me, the sampler in a way seems like if you could figure out the sampler, then you'd understand the rest of the film. And for me, I think. Yeah. That makes him a non... He, he's not a non-playing character. He's, if anything, the biggest playing character. The sampler, in a way, is almost that admin. He's the kind of... Mm. He's, he's like operate. a god. He's like yeah, a god. He's everyone else's... He's everyone else's <laughs> uh, NPC. He's yeah. an NPC. I would agree with that. Wow. That's um, shattered my nomination out of the water. Yeah. But I think, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think that, in a way, is a good way of looking at the film. Everyone else in the film is just an NPC in his video game. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, then, interesting. I, I wouldn't have actually, I wouldn't have made that connection if you didn't nominate them. So, although I wouldn't have um, said that that's what upstream color is really about, is it? I don't think everyone's an NPC in the sampler's video game. I don't know. I think I'm. I'm just. I think I'd go back and rewatch. This I think story. they're more. It's like disconnected events, and they're all linked in this kind of. <laughs> this chain. This, you know. But each, yeah, yeah, yeah. each person in this cycle doesn't know that they're causing the next stage of the cycle. Yeah. I don't think he's necessarily... I, I guess it's... I mean, again... This overseer that's controlling the cycle from above, this godlike figure. Yeah, we should probably... We've already discussed that actually, You should probably stick to the NPC. Yeah, we could go very yeah. deep into upstream colour, but... Again, really showing its showing its colours as uh, a <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> who else is left then in the uh, reckoning? We've got the, We've got the Chinese Coke. man. We've got Coke, who, to be honest, I think he's such a good NPC, partly because I barely remember any of him. Um, <laughs> the fact that he's such a forgettable, like when you mentioned that, it's like, oh yeah, that guy wasn't. Yeah, that yeah. makes him a, a top contender. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do. Again, uh, those guys in the visitor. They were, yeah. I think they deserve I... a series of their own. They were such good you know NPCs. <sighs> in fact, they probably already have one, but it's like, also like, like cable. We're the only black actors in the film, yeah. apart from the base <laughs> basketball playing scene at the beginning. <laughs> so, where are we going to oh, go? That's a problem. Uh, the man in the visitor. Oh, I mean, well. the man was great. Yeah, great I mean, also, the almost yeah. nominated, but she also played quite a heavy role. Shot, yeah, yeah, she had a thing she'd fit in the NPC category. Didn't actually do anything though, other than look at. But see, I think I think an NPC really. I have to say, Theo's developing a reputation for introducing new, uh, ca- new nominations <laughs> into every category. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honorable, <laughs> mentions. Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Down. 
I'm torn to be honest because I think the but, Chinese man is very much like a cl- like NPC classic cornerstone NPC. Like you go into this place, there's a guy there, he gives you some dialogue, and you go, okay, thank yeah. you, and then you carry on. Yeah, but. Yeah. Those two guys. I mean, they. I want to give them it was. It was a striking moment. Three characters. Yeah. They're the kind but of it, but hang on, it, it's not a striking moment award. It is an NPC and award. They were NPCs. They were NPCs. Were they? Yeah. Were, were they NPCs? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, what what what? I relevance, think they were playing. What relevance? Actually. What relevance did they have to the to the, to they the, the were narrative? Playing characters, but they were playing a completely different. I did wonder whether someone had done something with the editing and spliced in some stock footage from another. Film. <laughs> yeah, it was just like an old bit of media on the hard drive that just found its way into the yeah. project. Theo, where do you stand on this? Division? I'm keen on the visitor. What do you think, Theo? I'm keen on Cope. Okay, I'm stick it, he's sticking to the Cope with Cope. Cope. I think Cal so may well be the casting M- vote. Come yeah. on, yeah, Cope, the most NPC of all NPCs. <laughs> he's literally a quest giver. He, is, uh, he, he does nothing himself other than do quests in the set. He's, he's always in the same place. He's reliable. Chinese man doesn't even give you a quest. <laughs> he just gives you one line of dialogue and then walks into the forest. Set, like, I, think, I think it is down to Callum. Yeah, we have to wrap this up. What do you think, Callum? I think I, I think it's got to go to the visitors' yeah. characters. Uh, That's a wrap. Right, it's just, I love them just too much. Some NPCs you do like. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great so, awards for Cast Crash. Um, yeah, quite. I didn't expect there to be so much discussion over it though. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I did think it would go on. Bring, yeah. back, bring that award back next season. Definitely. <laughs> well, crypto um, fascist. That's a wrap. <laughs> that, I think so. that concludes the first part of this uh, <laughs> awards ceremony. A lot of winners. Um, We'll be, we may be right back, or we may be back in six months, who knows? We're just going to take a break for a second. This down. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Um, if not, uh, please make sure you follow us on all the various social media applications. We've got Twitter, we've got, we're probably going to have Thread soon, we've got SoundCloud, we've got, of course, we've got the main on. Substack. Just check out our link tree <laughs> at reads underscore on underscore film. Why do that again? Um, at reads underscore on underscore film. Uh, I'm sure, to be honest, if you found this, you really found it. But yeah, thanks for listening, um, everyone. Make sure to tune in. We'll be continuing with regular film reviews. Yeah, um, yeah. Please, 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 please do give us some feedback in the comment section. Yeah. Yes. Did you like this quiet, one first? Did you disagree? Any awards? Look, how many views? How many views are we getting? To how many comments are we getting? Not enough. Not, not enough. enough. And likes. Likes. Yeah. If you want to get our likes, don't say don't. That's it. Don't listen. A comment ratio. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not fix something. So please listen to us. So we don't want to think. I'm not please listen. We, we just want to make our way in the world. <laughs> we don't want to have to add ads and sponsors. But yeah. we don't. Don't. We don't have got, have we got a Patreon yet? No, not yet. <laughs> but there may be some exclusive podcast content in future. But make sure you give us some feedback. Okay. Thank you for listening. And kids did good. Bye. Can we all say? And right, cut. that whole end bit. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. Good, that was good, right. boys. I thought that was really good. Oh, that was good fun. Yeah, we're we're going to the beginning.